The most brutally officiated game of the college basketball season occurred Wednesday night in a two-and-a-half-hour slugfest between K-State and our boys in the Cardinal and Gold. 47 total called fouls and more time spent in TV timeouts and at the free throw line than time with the clock actually ticking. And goodness, if you were in that student section and had an 8 a.m. class the next day, it took a little bit of joy out of that win because you know you were going to get a zero on the homework assignment that you didn't have time to do anymore that night, and you had to take a nap in class too the next day. NCAA officials don't get paid by the hour, but if you were a new fan of the sport and saw just how much they were extending the game, you would assume that they were getting time and a half during the later parts of that game. Every soft defensive foul had to be called on both sides of the ball, and in some cases, they called a foul just because why not? It was an atrocious showing and a brilliant case study of the need for accountability measures for officials in college sports. Today is Friday, January 26th. I'm Matt Menson, and welcome to the Cornfield Sports Pod. As always, my co-host Blake Peterson is right here on my left. Bro, that game went on for so long. It was like, like one of the worst games that I've ever witnessed at home. It was like, I just wanted to go home. I just wanted to go home and I wanted to go to bed. Well, once that game was over, I mean, there, that game was over with a couple minutes left in, in, on the clock, um, after, pretty much after Jerome Tang's technical foul. Um, you know, we hit the three, and at that point, the lead's gotten to a, a pretty much insurmountable point, and Kansas State is still using all of their timeouts, giving the intentional fouls, and we're wasting so much time uh, on the sidelines and at the free throw line when the result had already been a foregone conclusion, and to be honest, we just wanted to go to sleep. This is what, what was the point of this? Like, seriously. It didn't serve any purpose for K-State. They still lost. They lost the game by even more because of it. So, yeah, exactly. You know, I guess you ruined your defensive stats. Oh, well. Good for you, I guess, K-State. Oh, well, kind of kind of, kind of adjust their stats uh, for, future, for future opponents. I don't know. Um, earlier in the week, though, before that game, uh, we did have a win against TCU. We built up a good lead in that game, but we darn near blew it. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, so for that one, uh, Cyclone Nation was, was invited to uh, Sweet Caroline's by the We Will Collective. So Love Sweet Caroline's. So that's, so that's how we watched it. Sponsor us. Please sponsor us. Sponsor us, Sweet Caroline's. Uh, but no, great, great atmosphere. Like love, love having Cyclone Nation show up, especially Cyclone Twitter. Uh, glad, like, glad to see my buddies on there. Um, yeah, that was... That was a, that was a good watch party to have, and uh, you know, with with We Will having the uh, the women's team there with their game against TCU having been canceled yeah. uh, due to forfeiture, as we talked about last week. That is amazing planning by Brent Bloom. Uh, yeah, kudos to the We Will Collective for pulling that off. That made a great environment at Sweet Caroline's, mm-hmm. and you know, of course, Sweet Caroline's is always great anyway. Yes, good service, good uh, good times. Yes, good times. Uh, um, it never seems so good. Never seen so good. Uh, so yeah, second half struggles. Uh, yeah, we just our our defense just kind of just kind of lost its edge, and TCU just kind of got hot in the second half. Yeah, they uh, they did start to chip away at that lead, and they almost pulled it off. But uh, luckily enough, we we did escape Fort Worth with that W, mm-hmm. and it is one that we needed. Um, you know, we didn't need a deflating loss going into that you know rivalry game against K State. Yeah. Um. Which before before we get into get into all the controversial stuff, uh, Milan Mojilovic led with nineteen. Curtis Curtis Jones led uh, 
right behind with 18. Curtis Keisha. Jones has stepped up the last two games. Oh, my God, yeah. Because Lipsy hasn't – and because against TCU, Lipsy was out. Mm-hmm. And la, uh, Wednesday night, Lipsy was clearly not at his best, still recovering from that shoulder. Um, Because Lipsy was, what, two for ten from the floor? I it wasn't. So. It wasn't a great night. I think so. But it, Curtis Jones has really stepped up. Yeah. Uh, Keyshawn Gilbert uh, came behind with a 15-point uh, double-double. He was crashing the glass all night, and that wasn't like a spurt of rebounds at some point in the game either. No. That was consistent boards the entire night. Yeah. Fantastic job from Keyshawn, and Keyshawn's defense was a lot better um, than I've seen the uh, for the rest of the year. And it's not like Keyshawn's defense is bad, but Keyshawn's defense last night was just fantastic. Mm-hmm. Or the other night. Or Yes, yes, the other night. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's been an interesting couple nights uh, leading up to uh, the Kansas game. Oh yeah, we uh, we, we will get tomorrow. to that. We will get to that in a bit. The 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 mental clock is starting to disappear. Yeah, it's it's degrading, but it it'll all be worth it. But yep. uh, on terms of the very controversial game to start off, obviously you heard before, very slow game, uh, ve- like especially very bad for it being at like eight eight at night. Uh, yeah, there was a lot of fouls, a lot of reviews. Yeah, I mean, it's one thing if a game goes that slow and it's a 5.30 tip-off, but goodness, an 8 o'clock one, by that game was a, but by the time there was a, a half hour of real time left to be played, the game was almost over. I mean, I guess K-State kept it, got back close again for a little while, but they yeah. never took the lead. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the time there were a couple minutes left, after Coach Tang had that technical foul, it was a foregone conclusion Iowa State was going to win. Yeah. Uh but but that but that night was probably the maddest that I've seen TJ like like ever. Uh, I don't I don't think he was like respond like responding to the last foul called on Trey King, but like but like cert, like certain moments in that game obviously got him a little heated. Well, the last foul that was called on Trey King wasn't the one that was the problem. It was the fourth foul because he didn't make any contact at all. They called an offensive foul on Trey King. They called an illegal screen on him when he was standing in the paint and didn't touch anybody. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, he was standing there, uh, presumably setting up for a potential rebound, mm-hmm. um, uh, waiting on how the shot was going to fall. But he did not make contact with any K-State player, and two K-State players crashed into each other, and then a foul was called on Trey King. Exactly. Um, which was just absolutely atrocious. Similar thing happened on the defensive end of the floor. Uh, Milan Momchilovic uh, tries to go for a block, misses the ball, hits nothing but air, um, and they call the foul on him once again, even though no contact was made at all. And it gets and it gets back to you saying like like calling fouls just because. Yeah, that, that's exactly what I meant when I said they called fouls just because. Why not? It's mm-hmm. like there was no foul to be heard of. There wasn't even anything that resembled a foul. It's not a controversial call. It's a downright awful call. It is an objectively awful call. But uh, enough enough on our side. Uh, there there was there was a couple moments uh, with Jerome Tang. Uh, but the, the but, first uh, of which, before we get to what's actually becoming controversial on Twitter, Jerome Tang should have been technicaled for crossing the half court line. Like obviously for that one. Uh, Obviously, everyone was call- was calling for that tee, but uh, he ended up uh, getting 
getting teed up. We got uh, teed later, but we need to talk first. There's only a couple reasons why a coach or other staff can cross half court. One of them is in the event of an injured player that they need to tend to. That makes perfect sense. There's no reason that should change. They absolutely should be able to go mm-hmm. tend to their injured players Agreed. when that happens. Agreed. And then the other reason is to go to the locker room at halftime. Yes. They have to do that too. Nothing wrong with that either. But no, uh, Jerome Tang just got teed up. Uh, just but Jerome Tang, but, but before he was teed up though, he had no business crossing the half court line to go yell at officials and at TJ. He had no business doing that. It's against the rules for him to do it. It's supposed to be an automatic technical, and they did not give him one. I've seen other coaches be called for that before in other games. Um, so that's something that he should not have gotten away with. And then assuming everything goes the same from there on out, then his technic- second technical should have been an ejection. It's just like uh, what uh, the late, great Johnny Orr said in one press conference, like what they put the rule in for, why they tell you to stay behind the line. If they're not going to enforce it, then to hell with it. Take it out. Yeah. It's, but, uh, it's, it's ridiculous. But no. Eventually, Drum, Drum Tang got teed up for throwing hands. He, just, he, he didn't just, punch nobody. He, he decided to throw some hands. He didn't pun- the throwing hands means punching someone. That's anyway. Um, Jerome Tang did not punch anybody. No one is making that accusation. He lit- except Blake. He literally just. That's not what throwing hands means. <laughs> throwing hands means squaring up and throwing punches. Um. Anyway, uh, yeah. But yes, Jerome Tang did eventually get a T later in the game, uh, unsportsmanlike behavior. Um, but it was it was a build up from a lot of uh, a lot of emotion over the course of this game uh, between the coaches, the player, the players not so much actually. The players stayed pretty calm and cool. No, they did. And the crowd was livid. The crowd the crowd was absolutely livid for much of this game because of how many soft fouls were being called. Uh, while Kansas State was getting away with a moving screen on almost every penalty, uh, not almost every penalty, they weren't getting penalized for it at all. Uh, on almost every possession, uh, K State moving screen, the K State offense, you could just call it the moving screen, like just name it that, because that's all it was. Um. Uh, but yeah, Tyler Perry in particular was getting away with a lot of stuff. The rest of their team wasn't getting away with too much, no. but. And nobody on our team was getting away with anything. No, Jerome Tang obviously only got away with crossing half court, which that's the easiest technical ever to call. But nonetheless, he got teed up later anyway. Yeah. It was a long game, but um, a lot of post game stuff went down. Yeah, is is the post game stuff the wild accusations on Twitter? And we need to talk about these because there's a lot of stuff flying around right now mm-hmm. that I'm reasonably certain is not true. Um, because it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. Um, so during so during the handshake line, uh, during the handshake line, uh, TJ and Jerome Tang like had a heated conversation of like uh, Jerome pointing to the audience, and so right the specifically to the rows that were right behind the K State bench. Yes, and and during the press conference, they both agreed uh, like this is going to stay between the coaches, but now a lot of stuff has has surfaced from and that. And it's because the the Twitter rumor mill that's been uh, coming up with stuff that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. The first one was uh, uh, people saying that uh, there were racial slurs being said at the K-State bench 
that and was... that Tang was accusing him of that. But and, and I don't know. Maybe there was something said. Maybe there wasn't. But even if there was, it was so loud in Hilton Coliseum that the K-State bench and Coach Tang would not have been able to hear it because you couldn't hear the guy right next to you, let alone someone 20, 30 feet from you. No. So even if it was said, Coach Tang and none, no, people on the K-State bench did not hear it, so they can't say that they heard it. So that accusation's out the window. The next one was that they were saying things were thrown at the K-State bench. Now, if that had happened, people would have seen it. There would have been multiple eyewitnesses that would have been pointing out this particular individual. Including you. And, yeah. And whoever would have thrown something at the K-State bench would have gotten tossed from Hilton Coliseum. That also did not happen. And I could literally like go ask like go ask like uh, the Hilton staff like at any time. Right. We we talked to them after the game. They said that some of them said they didn't even know what was going on over there. Like they thought it was nothing. Uh, just the the couple rows of K State fans right behind their bench, just making uh, uh just a, a whole lot of chatter over nothing, which is honestly my guess as to what it actually was. Um, because. It was the first two rows behind the K State bench. Again, we're also K State fans. That's that's more distance uh, mm-hmm. as far as you know. If things were thrown, that's more opportunity that they would have been seen. If things were said, that's more witnesses that would have heard it. Yeah, and um, especially especially on men's basketball days, the Hilton staff are on top of what they do. So yeah. so obviously they're not seeing any anything thrown at them. So nothing was said to the K State bench that can be proven nothing was thrown at them and then the third accusation the biggest one of all, which is the biggest one this is the one that sports illustrated is now reported on this is the one that cbs sports has now reported on is the a, a cheap ripoff of the connor stallion story so if, i guess it's good for clicks or something I guess. because it's not true um k-state is now alleging that uh, Iowa State had staff planted in the rows behind the K-State bench where they were using cell phones to film the uh, Kansas State huddle during timeouts and then relay signals back to the Iowa State bench. Well, that can't be true either because if you've been on the lower level of Hilton Coliseum, you know that you can't send a text down there. There is no reception in that beautiful concrete bunker of a building. Especially in a sold-out Hilton Coliseum. Yeah, like, no, that, th- that's what makes it even is more no impossible. Re- there's no reception down there. So you're not even you're not sending an SMS message, let alone a video over text. Like like people in the in the lower deck can't even do size trivia. No, we can't. It's I mean that's that's that requires a little bit more bandwidth, not as much as sending a video. But you can't even send an SMS text from down mm-hmm. there. So the idea that they were sending videos back to the Iowa State bench. Absolutely absurd. Um, there's, uh, there's nothing believable about that. Yeah, Sports Illustrated like did not think about the logistics of this conspiracy theory at all. No. And so, what makes it what makes it a little more illegitimate? They put uh, one of our parody Twitter burners on there, Faux T.G. Otzelberger. Yeah. Like like included in the article, and on top of that, no sources. Absolutely none. Yeah, there, no sources. The CBS Sports one only cited Sports Illustrated as its source. Which which Sports Illustrated doesn't have any sources there. Right. It's it's all fabricated. Um so so on top of it all, we have people sitting in the front row who's who's seeing all of this 
you especially. I'm one of them. And and like all of all of our other front row people. Yeah, if something was thrown, we would have seen it with our own eyes. That didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Um, because we're people of class, as I say sarcastically. Yeah, class. Now, if you want class, you go to an opera. <laughs> um, but no, we don't. We're still sportsmanlike. Yeah. You know, we're not actually out to harm the other team. We like to rag on them a little bit. You know, we like to heckle them a little bit. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's that, all in good fun. That's all in good fun. That's what that's what students do. That's all in good fun, but it's also it's also a mark of honor to be heckled because you're not going to heckle someone that you don't respect. Because like because like Kate like Caitlin Clark, you heckle someone who's good enough to be heckled. Mm-hmm. You so, don't. So Caitlin Clark, uh, uh, great Grady Dick last year, Hunter Dickinson this year. Yeah, that's that's it's absolutely the case. Um, no, it, you you don't you you know that's that's why you don't have hecklers at a middle school basketball game. It's not worthy of heckling. Um, but my message to the media in Kansas State: Shut up, shut up, shut up. Now let's make room for stuff that's actually worth noting on national news. Henceforth, the people outside of Hilton Coliseum right now. Yes, there's. Last I saw, at least twelve tents out there, um, many of which have been in, out there. Uh, since Wednesday night, the first one was uh, the first spot in line for the Kansas game was claimed at tip off of the Kansas State game. So it's uh, it's going to be a very loud. It's going to be a wonderful environment at mm-hmm. Hilton Coliseum on Saturday at twelve thirty. Yep. And so- uh, make sure you catch that game on CBS. Um, Blake. We got an Iowa State alumni playing in the first ever game of the Pro Volleyball Federation. Yes, uh, Jess, Jess Shaben Landsman. Jess Shaben Landsman. I was I was making sure I got that name. Outside right. hitter. Yes. Outside hitter for the Omaha Supernovas and former Cyclone. Uh, she made her first start uh, just recently with uh, Omaha Supernova uh, yep. at, at the CHI Health Center. Yeah, it's uh, good to see success from from uh, Iowa State alumni doing that. Um, you know, it's been a good year for success for Iowa State alumni and athletics. I mean, mm-hmm. Tyrese Halliburton, uh, Brock Purdy, obviously, yep. Chris Hall, and add Jess Shaben Landsman to that list now. George's Niang uh, working his way up in the Did cabinet. you just say George's? George's Niang. George? George? George. Sounded like you said George's. Uh, anyway. George Niang working his way up in the Cavaliers. Yes. Um, it's... It, it's it's good for uh it's good to be a pro if you're a cyclone right now. Mm-hmm. Um women's basketball. Uh they lost at Kansas on Wednesday night in a heartbreaker, sixty to fifty eight. They played this game tight through the entire game. Neither team really got all that far ahead. Nah. The only the only they're the highest lead in that game was five points. Yeah. Um and this game was very strongly carried by uh Audie Crooks and Addie Brown. Yep. Um, they were combining for 35 points. Um, yeah, and and the team leaders are like the top three team leaders are all freshmen, right? And when I when I see these top three leaders, it's Crooks, Brown, and uh, Jalen Bristow. But it's like, what do those three all have in common? They're all interior players. Mm-hmm. Um, Bristow and Brown are more of that four slot, and Crooks is obviously a five slot. Um, you know, where's that action on the outside? Where's that? Where's that shooting that we're accustomed to 
I mean, we know Addy can shoot three as well, but it's, you know, where's Ariana Jackson? Where's Emily Ryan? Where's Hannah, Hannah Bellinger? Where's Kelsey Jones in this game? Um, you know, we got to have more action from outside if you yeah. want to be winning on the road in the Big 12. And I understand that, you know, you're going to have games where it's colder shooting, but some of those have got to be fixed. Because if all of your leaders, your top three, are uh, the kind of players that do all their damage in the post, then uh, it's not going to be a very successful game. Yeah. And this game we couldn't really watch a whole lot because, because like we were getting situated or they were getting situated. Right. We were, in Hilton. We were sitting in Hilton Coliseum waiting for the K State game to start. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we were able to catch clips of it up on the Jumbotron, but that was about it. Yeah. Uh, upcoming for the ladies, they'll be at 24th ranked West Virginia who we beat in Hilton Coliseum earlier this year. And they're still ranked then, 24th. Yes, and then we will be returning home uh, to host the Oklahoma State Cowgirls. Uh, wrestling has got a big weekend starting tonight at 18th-ranked Oklahoma. Um, got a lot of notable matchups. Yes, we got a lot of ranked rat- matchups here. Uh, first off, 149 pounds. Uh, expect Casey Swiderski. Uh, and Willie McDougald. Um, there's all. There's also the possibilities that Zach Redding could be wrestling for us, or John Wiley could be wrestling for Oklahoma. But I would expect Swiderski and McDougald for that. Uh, One fifty-seven pounds. Thirteenth uh, ranked Cody Chittum and thirty-first ranked Jared Hill. Uh, One sixty-five. David Carr should be wrestling for us. And then for Oklahoma, expect either twenty-eighth ranked Kale Carlson or. Mannix Morgan, uh, 174 pounds. Uh, MJ Gaetan is on the slate for us, and he'll be wrestling against either 29th-ranked Tate Picklow or Garrett Nienhuis. I don't know how you pronounce that name. Um, I would expect Picklow to be wrestling in this one. Uh, you know, you get two guys ranked in the 20s. That's Either, either uh, wrestler could win that one. 197 pounds. Uh, this one will likely be a rough one for us because 30th-ranked Julian Broderson will be wrestling against Oklahoma's second-ranked Stephen Buchanan, uh, who's 17-0 on the year, by the way. And then we got another ranked matchup at 285 tonight with third-ranked Younger Bastida wrestling against 11th-ranked Josh Heinzelman or potentially against Juan Mora. And then tomorrow night, we take another step up in the rankings as we go from uh, Norman to the legendary Gallagher Iba Arena, one of the most difficult venues in the country to wrestle in, and we wrestle the fifth-ranked Oklahoma State Cowboys. The notable matchups in this one is literally this all is, of them. This is every weight class. This is all of them. This is every weight class. Now, we're, we're the fourth-ranked. Oklahoma State is the fifth-ranked. Expect a very tight-scoring duel in this one. Uh, there's a lot that could go crazy. At 125 pounds, this one could be a coin flip about here. Uh, Kyson Tarakina is going to be wrestling 20th-ranked Troy Spratley. Uh, Kyson's ranked 25th, so that's, that's 25-20. Either wrestler could win this. Uh, 133 pounds. Seventh-ranked Evan Frost versus third-ranked Dayton Fix. I didn't even realize until I saw this that Dayton Fix is still wrestling in college. I thought his eligibility expired um cuz he's been wrestling for a while uh you know it always used to be uh him and Roman Bravo Young gunning for it 
at 133, and it always ended up being RBY. But somehow Dayton Fix is still here. Um, we move up to another weight class, 141, 8th-ranked Anthony Ekamendia will be wrestling 9th-ranked uh, Tegan Jamison. Uh, this should be a very tight match. Um, you know, this will be, I think, the highest. It'll be among the highest, if not the highest, that Ekamendia has had so far this year. Um, 149, Casey Swiderski or potentially Zach Redding. I would think Swiderski uh, against 17th-ranked Sammy Alvarez or Jordan Williams. Um I think a Swiderski-Alvarez matchup here would be very entertaining. I think Swiderski can win that. Um, but you never know with that kind of ranking. We'll see. It wouldn't shock me if Oklahoma also decided to put up Williams against Swiderski if they weren't confident um, in Alvarez's ability to win that one, considering there's a seven-spot seven difference between their ranks. Uh, 157 pounds, 13th-ranked Cody Chittum and 18th-ranked Teague Travis. This one's going to be pretty much locked in. It's going to be those two. I think Chittum's can win this. I still think Cody Chittum is underrated. Um, and I, I still believe that he rightfully beat Jared Frannick. So um, 165 pounds, David Carr will be wrestling fourth-ranked. Isaac Olejnik, this one will be a very good duel. This is the marquee matchup of the night. Uh, so keep your eye on that one. Uh 174 pounds, 23rd-ranked MJ Gaetan will be wrestling 25th-ranked Braden Thompson. This is another coin flip bout. Um, you know, I, I don't know who's going to win this one. Uh, stylistically, I'm not really sure. I'm not too familiar with Braden Thompson, so I don't know how stylistically they match up against each other and who's got an advantage that way because when you're ranked that close to each other in the 20s, that, uh, that can go either way. Uh, 184, this one's going to be a tough one for Will Feldkamp. He's wrestling second-ranked Dustin Plott um, or Jersey Rob, but I would expect Justin Plott, or not Justin, uh, Dustin Plott to be uh, wrestling for Oklahoma State in this one. Uh, 197 pounds, we got Julian Broderson against 16th-ranked Luke Serber or Kyle Haas. I would almost certainly expect Luke Serber uh, to be in this one. Luke Serber, I would think, would win it as well. And then at heavyweight, third-ranked Younger Bastida against ninth-ranked Connor Doucette. So if I'm looking at this bout by bout here, I'm trying to think what what bouts are we likely to win. Um, you know, I I think 141 is one that we're probably looking pretty good at. 149 we look good. 157 I like. Um, this is anyone's game. 285 I like. So then we get to we got a couple coin flips here. Uh Kyson Tarakina and Troy Spratley. That's a coin flip. I'm not really sure about that one. Um David Carr and Isaac Olejnik, that's a coin flip. I'm not sure who can win that one. I th I'm tempted to say David. Uh, I'm tempted to give a little bit of favoritism toward David. But I'm not uh, as familiar with Olejnik as I should be. So I can't give him that one for sure. MJ Gaetan and Braden Thompson. That's going to be a tough one as well. Um, and then, yeah, I mentioned Younger should be able to beat Doucette. But that's that's three coin flips. If we take two of those three, then, we should, then we'd be able to win it six bouts to four. 
um, how bonus point point scoring might factor in. That I don't know. Um, we'll see what ends up happening. But this one I would expect to be scoring very tight. Bonus points might make the difference in this one for whoever wins. Um, and if any team manages to get a pin, I would expect that team to win. Blake, it's time for high-speed wins. This is the time for high-speed wins. High-speed wins are fast. They, they, are, they are a little fast tonight. High-speed uh, wins have high speed. Rattle them off. Let's go. Well, obviously. Uh, tonight's uh, gymnastics comes back to Hilton. Uh, they'll face uh, Illinois State's. Uh, I feel I have good feelings about this one because because like I've looked at uh, everyone's past scores, uh, like so far this season, and like as much as much as we've, as much as our squad has improved this season, and I feel like uh, Illinois State has like a consistent level of scoring like throughout the season, and as much as we've been improving, I've got good feelings tonight. Uh, Swimmies uh, had a recent loss against TCU at home. Uh, they'll be looking to bounce back tomorrow at West Virginia. So that's that's how fast they are for you. All right, uh, pro sports. As always, we start with the NFL. Um, the Green Bay Packers, their season ended last weekend uh, with a loss at the Brock Purdy Niners. Oh, boy. We love you, Brock. We love Brock. So, Jordan, yeah, eh, sorry. Yeah, it's not your time right now. Maybe next time. Bye-bye. Uh, yeah, no, this – yep. He choked at the end. He did choke at the end. He threw a pick, and that was game. It, it was decided by a Jordan Love interception. Yep. And he, and he had the chance to at least take the game to overtime. Yep. Um, this this wasn't Brock Purdy's best game, but he he still played all right. He came in clutch when he needed to. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, this this last week he was announced as a finalist for the MVP. So it's uh, good news for the world of Iowa State alumni in the NFL. Yes, sir. As much as much as I love them, Purdy Niners, the pack deserved to win. And except t- they didn't I- until the end. They deserved to win, except they didn't because San Francisco deserved to win because they had more points. Um, wh- what's next? Are we going to see the uh, uh, the Philadelphia Eagles claim that they uh, deserve to be Super Bowl champs? Yeah, after because they 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 played well enough in the wild card to advance or something like that. It's just like no, no. Um. The Philadelphia Eagles deserve to win until Kansas City hit a field goal at the end of the game. Super Bowl champs. Let's be real. It made Taylor Swift cry. <laughs> um, the, yep, her, her plan to, to destroy the Kansas City Chiefs didn't work because they made it farther than the Eagles. Oh, yeah. Speaking of the Chiefs, they did, in fact, win at the Bills. Mm-hmm. Uh, 27-24. Um, they beat Josh Allen in the playoffs again. Mm-hmm. Josh Allen can't seem to figure out how to beat them in January. Yeah. He can figure out how to beat them any other time of the year, but just not January for some odd reason. Um, but, yeah, the Chiefs make their sixth straight AFC championship game, and this one they will not be hosting again. Um, this will be the second road game in the playoffs for Patrick Mahomes. Hmm. Um, and it will be at the Ravens. This one will be in Baltimore where there will be significantly less snow than there was in Buffalo. Um. And let's be real, everyone in this country that's not a Chiefs fan wants the Ravens to win this game. No, no. Uh, which just, means they just don't want Taylor Swift in, in the Super Bowl. Like, they want nothing to do with her. At this rate, though, would it shock you? Uh, let me ask you this Would it shock you if the Chiefs make the Super Bowl? Would it shock you if they found a way to sneak Taylor Swift into the halftime show? 
A little bit. Because, like, I feel like everything's all scheduled out. Like, like all scheduled out, ready to go. But, but like, no, that's, on- that's the game results because the NFL is, is scripted, right? <laughs> that's, that's how that works. Um, no, it's when they have that much money that they're throwing around, though, they can make stuff happen. Mm-hmm. And there are people who will, you know, move mountains for Taylor Swift because of who she is. So I, them finding a way to slip her into the halftime show doesn't seem like that far-fetched of an idea. No. And it could be the kind of thing that they've been planning out for a while and have just been keeping under wraps as well. Obviously, because the NFL is so obviously scripted. Or because they don't want uh, Taylor Swift fans to flood the ticket markets. Um, but yeah. What do you think on that Raven spread or, or the game spread? The line is Ravens minus three and a half. Um, this game's in Baltimore. This is going to come down to, you know, how well can Lamar Jackson pick apart Kansas City's secondary? Um, And with Kansas City's secondary being actually fairly healthy right now, um, you know, Legereus Sneed is one of the best in the NFL. I think if there's a defense that might be tailor-made to knock off the Ravens, I think the Chiefs might be that team. So not only am I going to pick the Chiefs to cover, I'm going to pick the Chiefs to win this. Kansas City to the Super Bowl. That's that's pretty bold because like because like I'm literally thinking like the exact opposite because I feel like this is the year that the Ravens have been building up like like for their Super Bowl appearance and for Lamar Jackson to be Super Bowl MVP. Like that, I feel like this. I feel like this. No, is, Brock Purdy's going to be Super Bowl MVP. You think Brock Purdy's going to be the Super Bowl MVP? He's getting some kind of MVP. He's he's got to. He better get some kind of MVP. Nah, because because. Because, like, Brock, the past two years, he deserves something at the very end. I'm going to be honest. I don't want to deal with being torn between cheering for Brock Purdy and cheering for the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. I kind of need one of them to lose this it, week, but not both. It is a possible outcome. It is a possible outcome, and I'm honestly a little bit worried about that. Because same, as much as I would love it, I would also hate it. Same here. Um, well, no, you just want to cheer against the Chiefs because you're a Broncos fan. Broncos country. Watch me cry. That's an accurate statement. Uh, anyway, uh, let's go back to talking hoops, uh, uh, NBA this time, uh, Timberwolves. I want to talk specifically about that game, uh, where they lost to the Hornets, but Carl Anthony Towns put up 62 points, which means the rest of the team didn't where, show where up. Did... <laughs> no, where Dude were had they? a historic night, where set were a franchise scoring record for the Timberwolves, and the rest of the team could not play well enough to get him the win when it happened. That would be such a memorable win. You know, you give the dude the game ball, have that in a trophy case in his house somewhere. But now that's just it's marred. I feel, so I I like I feel really happy for Cat for setting that franchise record, but at the same time I feel bad for him that they had to lose such a major game like that. I feel like in an alternate universe put put our but our men's basketball just trying to give Conrad Holly the ball and then and then just he just he just scores the whole game and they still lose. I feel like I feel like this is that's what that's what it makes me think of. I know I know you're I know that look on your face. You're just like, what are you talking about? But Yeah, you lost me. I don't know. I don't know why I thought of that, but Yeah, yeah, you definitely lost me. Um, but uh during during the Timberwolves game, Eric Eric Collins uh doing radio for the Hornets, like like he just he just couldn't believe it on his end. 
there's there's video surfacing uh, of him just yelling like in a really high pitch. He's like, nah. Yep. Like on the radio broadcast. By that time he did that, uh, Cat had already put up 44 points like in the second quarter. Yeah, no, Cat was having himself a night. Um, anyway, the the Bucks have some interesting changes going on in uh, in their neck of the woods, uh, because even though they're continuing to rattle off wins, uh, they put up two two wins against the Pistons here, and then they fired Adrian Griffin as their head coach, and they're lining up Doc Rivers to be their next head coach right now. Uh, they didn't have anybody signed up by the game against the Cavaliers, and they had an interim head coach for that one. I can't remember who it was. But they did end up winning that game as well. Um, but this leads to a lot of questions here. Um, and that's it's how does this affect their team dynamic? You know, their offense was really, really good. So is that going to continue to hum at the high level that it has been? You know, are they going to try to make a whole lot of change with that? Or are they just going to, you know, let the offense stay status quo? Because the status quo for the Milwaukee offense is top tier right now. Um, and will the defense finally improve because this had to be a factor for why Adrian Griffin was fired that their defense was 22nd in the league. And, you know, it's, they were being very competitive, uh, winning a lot of games with that high flying offense. But at the end of the day, I don't think it was good enough to win an O'Brien trophy. And the way uh, Milwaukee's general management was describing this, this is a move to try to, uh, make it more feasible to actually win the NBA Finals and take home the O'Brien Trophy. So we'll we'll see what ends up happening with this. Um, you know, I I think that maybe it could work, but it also could completely fall apart. I'm not really sure that there's a whole lot of middle ground in this. Uh, you know, something's going to change. Uh, is it going to change for the worse or for the better? But I I don't think status quo is likely to stay uh where it is uh upcoming they've got another game against the Cavaliers uh and then they'll also host the Pelicans at the Fiserv Forum before traveling to Denver to play the Nuggets and Portland to play the Trailblazers the Chicago Bulls here in the last week they got one win against the Grizzlies before they had losses at the Suns and Lakers uh you know surrendering leads later just allowing 141 points to be scored by the Lakers the Bulls got to get their crap figured out here because there's that, something every game that just glares out at you is, goodness, this is a problem. Like with that Lakers game, there, like, there, wasn't, there wasn't much defense on either side of the court. No, there wasn't much defense on either side of the court, but the, I mean, the, and the Lakers were shooting the lights out. But at the same time, you know, get up and contest shots. Um, and, and that game against the Suns, the Bulls had a big lead. Uh, and they gave it up, and the Suns passed them right at the very end, and the Bulls were not able to uh, take over again. You know, the fourth quarter, the third and fourth quarter in particular for Chicago have just been deadly this last year. Because, And I don't know if it's a conditioning thing or a game scripting thing because, you know, you go into a game, and those first, you know, 15, 20 possessions are basically scripted, you know, what plays you're going to run. And the Bulls play those possessions at a much faster pace they tend to do very well and they get out to an early lead after that they slow way down and their shot selection gets a lot poorer and they just tend not to play as well and they look sluggish after they get through those initial scripted plays 
Uh, and then you've also got the Zach Levine dilemma for the Bulls right now with him being injured again. Um, and then those injuries are making his trade prospects cold because no one's going to trade for a player midseason that won't actually be able to play for them. Um, so, And the Bulls are surviving without him, but they're not markedly better with him. The Bulls kind of need to get rid of him and get something in return. But no one really wants to offer anything for him because he doesn't really have all that much to offer for most teams if he's going to keep being hurt. Uh, so that's, the Bulls are in a very tricky spot right now having to deal with that. Uh, upcoming, they're going to be at the Trailblazers, home against the Raptors, at the Hornets, and then they will return to United Center to play the Sacramento Kings. Uh, the NHL. Let's talk some hockey. Let's talk some puck. Wild's been doing better. That they have. Um, uh, I got three wins in the last week. You got a result on the Predators game. Um, finally, found, they got consistent offense here in in the games against the Panthers, Hurricanes, and Capitals. Okay, they lost three to two against the Predators. So the three three and one in the last week. Um, I guess two goals. That's that's still productive offense. That's that'll win you every now and then. Um, and only every now and then. Right, and you're not going to be able to score, you know, five, six goals every game like they had been in the last couple of weeks. So that's that's a market improvement for the Wild here, uh, increase in offensive consistency. Six goals against the Panthers, and the Panthers are a good team. Uh, five against the Canes. The Canes are a good team. Um, the Capitals, less so of a good team. Uh, they win that 5-3. to three. Um, And then this next week here, they've got a short slate. They're going to get a chance to rest up. Uh, get healthy, uh, and not only is this short slate short, they're also against two uh, teams that are less than good uh, as they bring the Ducks to the XL Energy Center before traveling to Chicago to play the Blackhawks. Um, speaking of the Blackhawks, the poor, poor Blackhawks. they've got three losses in a row right now. They had an OT win uh, against the Islanders before that. Oh, wow, look at that. They're bad. <laughs> the Blackhawks are just bad. They're even worse without Connor Bedard, and they're they're kind of hopeless right now. Yeah. If you're a Blackhawks fan right now, you're you're waiting for baseball season to start up because the Chicago Cubs are the best sports thing in that city, and they didn't even make the playoffs last year. I would I would hate to be a Chicago sports fan right now. You are one. Uh, well, I guess I am, but like I mean, for all four major sports. Um. Yeah. No. The being a Bulls fan is hard enough, but like, well, I would. It would be even worse than being a Cubs fan, though, as being a White Sox fan. That's really rough. Oh, if yeah. you're if you're a Bears, White Sox, Blackhawks, Bulls fan, that's a rough slate. That's a really really rough slate. Um. Yeah, the Blackhawks. They have room to improve everywhere. And means to improve nowhere. Uh, that, unless that, they make a coaching change. That about covers it. Unless they make a coaching change. Or may, at this point, maybe it's time for the owners, owners to start considering a general management change. Um, because there's a lot of personnel problems with the Chicago Blackhawks right now. Uh, St. Louis Blues. Uh, previous week, three wins for the Blues. Um, including an overtime win. Uh, at the Canucks, uh, but before that, they had a shutout win against the Capitals and then a win uh, against the Flames. They're doing decent on that Pacific Northwest trip, and they're going to continue that here 
uh, at the Kraken before they return back to the Enterprise Center and play the Kings and the Blue Jackets. And now I want to get to my favorite talking point of the week because I've been waiting for this for a while. Joe Maurer finally admitted to the Hall of Fame. It's a good week to be a Minnesota twin. For, for the MLB section, by the way. <laughs> well, yes, everybody knows that the Minnesota Twins are in the MLB. Well, he didn't mention unless like, you're like, like, oh, we're going new, to Unless you're like new to sports and somehow <laughs> discovered the Cornfield Sports Pod as your first uh, interaction with sports, I would assume that that is absolutely zero of our listeners, but I guess, you know, I can't rule that out, um, you know, considering that this doesn't get viewed until after we record it, so... Uh, no, Joe Maurer, though, you look back over his career, he had three batting titles. Um, you know, he's one of the best hitting catchers of all time. You could argue the best hitting catcher of all time. Uh, he hit in his MVP season in 2009, uh, he hit at a batting average of 365. Uh, no hitter has matched that since. He led all three of the triple slashes among catchers that year. Uh, he had a ba- uh, on base percentage of 444 in 2009, which is just nuts. Um, and, I mean, he wasn't a power hitter. He didn't do a whole lot of slugging. Um, now, that 2009 season, he had a little bit more. But he was, a, he, the, he was a consistent hitter. He was the kind of guy that you could go up and rely on, you know, getting a base hit. You know, and if you've got runners on base, Maurer's going to move those runners. Uh, he was the kind of guy that, you know, if you're in a tough situation, he's not going to let you down. He's not the guy that's going to give you a bunch of fireworks, but – a guy that's going to be able to manufacture wins for a team, that's the kind of guy that deserves to be in the Hall of Fame because he can do it game in, game out, instead of an exciting moment here or there. Um, and, you know, he was a great defensive guy, too. That MVP season, you know, he won the gold glove. Um, and if it wasn't for injuries, then he would have been able to keep catching longer. Uh, after that, you know, they moved him to first base, but... Uh, and eventually he you know, started taking more slots in the designated hitter role. I got to see him one time for a live game. Uh, it was like the summer after I was in like second grade or third grade or something like that. It was a long time ago. That was I that? Used, it was, huh? That was that? Oh, it was great. They beat the Astros 3-2. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> the Astros. Yep. I remember I used to have a Joe Maurer jersey. It's still sitting at home somewhere. What, what's the shirt size? Probably like a youth medium. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, I used to have it. I remember I wore it at that game. It's the only time I ever got to see Joe Maurer play in person, man. That was awesome. That was while, that was while Justin Morneau was still at the twins too, uh, before he got traded to the Rockies. Um, well, Joe Maurer, very deserving, very deserving, very deserving. So proud to have another twin in the hall of fame. Um, you know, we love Joe Maurer played every year in the MLB at the Minnesota twins. Uh, when the Minnesota Twins picked him first uh, in that draft, you know it was a controversial decision. Uh, they wanted to a lot of a lot of players thought, or not a lot of players, a lot of people thought that uh, the uh, there was a pitcher out of USC was going to go first, and then he ended up getting picked second. Um, didn't have a particularly long career in the MLB because of injuries. Joe Maurer, on the other hand, is now a Hall of Famer. Yes, so sir. congratulations to Joe Maurer. We'd love to see it. It's a great week for uh, the Minnesota Twins, um, and I am just filled with joy about that. Um, and on that note, well, uh, if you want to experience the joy of Joe Maurer being in the Hall of Fame, then follow the Cornfield Sports Pod on Twitter at C Sports Pod. 
Um, Blake, where can they find you? You can find me at BlakeAttack1846. Of course, you can find me at the Menson Minute. Uh, tap the follow button on Spotify, the plus button on Apple. Uh, subscribe to us on YouTube and Rumble. This is Blake Peterson. I'm Matt Menson. Our producer is Vinny Cataldo, and this has been the Cornfield Sports Pod.